Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to the first episode of The Grief Coach. You can find me on Instagram at the underscore grief coach. And if you want to get in touch, email me at hello at thegriefcoach.co. I want to talk briefly about the reason I decided to start this podcast. Um, My dad died this year. His time from his cancer diagnosis to his death was only six months. And in that time and in the time since he died... I learned all sorts of things that I wish I didn't know. The thing is, a lot of this is really important, but we as a society don't talk about it because we learn that death is a very taboo subject and something to be whispered about. My goal in creating this podcast is to create an easy-to-digest resource on grief, death, and dying. And while there are a lot of us who have experienced a loss, there are even more of us who have been grief-adjacent at some point in our lives. Someone you know has lost a grandparent, a parent, a brother, a sister, a friend, a cousin, a coworker, and no matter how they pass, whether it's sudden or expected, there are people who are left and who miss them. So today we're going to talk about how to talk to those people who are grieving and how that changes over time depending on where they are in the grieving process. And I also want to talk a little bit about what to send to those who are grieving. When my dad got sick, he was really pleased with how good his team was, and all of us were optimistic. People were, of course, supportive and helpful, and because it was new, we thought he was going to beat it. Um, As time went on, he wasn't getting better, and with his doctors, he decided to stop treatment. This is obviously a wildly oversimplified version of events, but I will get into more details on future episodes. I'm going to focus mostly on the time that he was in hospice and after he died because I think that's where a lot of us struggle on what's appropriate to say and do. I do want to note that this mainly comes from my perspective, which is that of an expected death, but a lot of it is applicable to an unexpected death as well. While my dad was in hospice, one of the most common things that people would say is, please let me know what I can do to help. On the surface, this is great. Someone's offering to help you when you need all the help you can get. In reality, this was a really stressful thing for me to hear, and it then felt like the onus was on me to figure out, one, what do I need help with? And two, what's appropriate to ask this person? How much time or effort could I reasonably ask them to put in? Um, I responded to a friend once that my to-do list was really hard, and she said, well, if there's anything easy, let me know. I'm sure that she meant easy for her to step in and take care of, something that I could easily outsource, but nothing on my list of shit to do um, was easy. I started to say to close friends, I don't know, but if you can think of something helpful, just be helpful. And they did. People offered to do laundry. Um, My parents are divorced, but um, when my dad was put in hospice, my mom came out to be there with my dad, my brother, and I. This was amazing for so many reasons. Uh, One of the biggest reasons is when my mom is stressed, she cleans, and she did so much laundry. I don't know how many of you have ever been in a house um, where someone's doing hospice at home, but there are like loads and loads and loads of laundry a day. When family friends stopped by, they would do the dishes or empty the dishwasher. One family friend offered to pay for a house cleaner to come. If your bereaved person has children, offer to step in and help with childcare or take them overnight. 
I think that actionable help like this is really meaningful because for most of us, chores aren't fun to begin with. And unless we're using them as a way to distract ourselves from the situation at hand, having help with household upkeep is amazing. If you've gone through the hospice and loss process, you know that people tend to tiptoe around you and they ask, how are you? Which theoretically is a totally normal thing to say. Except that when you're watching someone you love die, you feel like you got hit by a bus all the time. So if someone tells you that they're good while they're watching someone they love die, they're probably lying to you because they don't want you to feel uncomfortable. My answer to this question was often one day at a time or one foot in front of the other, which I found to be a bit more respectful than fucking terrible. I think asking someone, what's going on today for you? is really good because they can then talk about their emotional state. They can talk about what they're actually doing and it allows them to bring the conversation to where they want it to be. Another thing that I think is really important to say is, do you want to talk about it or do you want to be distracted or do you just want company? This lets the person who's going through the hardship decide if they want to talk about it or not, or if they just want to be with someone and like, how helpful would it be for you to know what they want to talk about. Um, There were some days when I did want to be distracted and hear about a friend's job woes or a date they went on because then I could feel some semblance of normalcy when it felt like my world was ending right in front of me. After he died, condolences started coming in. I'm sorry for your loss. Over and over and over again. And while I'm sure these people were sorry, I really didn't find this to be helpful at all. And it, in fact, made me mad and annoyed. <laughs> Every time I had to acknowledge that it was a chip away at what I knew to be at my reality. Um, this was real. He was really dead. Um, I started to heart text messages instead of replying because responding, thank you, when my dad died seemed ridiculous to me. In hindsight, um, this may have been the anger stage of grief. I also always had a really hard time with, he's always with you. It's like, right, sure he is, but he's not here and I can't call him and I'll never see him again. A lot of people said things to the effect of, his legacy lives on within you, which is a totally nice thing to say, but I wish he was here instead. The lesson here is there's really not a lot of good things to say to someone who's grieving. The things I found to be the most meaningful were from other people who had lost a parent. One of my cousins said she cried every day for two years and that it doesn't get better for a long time. For me, I connected to that, and now, seven months later, that's mostly true. I do cry almost every day. Um, Some people said, this is horrible and I know nothing I can say will make this better, but I'm here for you. And for me, that was more comforting than I'm sorry. I also found it to be really respectful when people would start a text with, please don't feel a need to respond to this, because that acknowledged that the responding was overwhelming. I had a lot of friends say to me, I don't know what to say to you. And I always responded with, that's a good thing. And every single person who has met with this response looks at me confused until I tell them the reason you don't know what to say to me is because you haven't done this yet. The people who had gone through the trauma of losing a parent knew how to speak about it honestly, and I don't wish that on anyone. 
I'm glad most of my friends haven't done this and don't know what to say because this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I was recently speaking to a friend who lost her father and she said she does find it comforting when people who she doesn't know very well say, I'm sorry for your loss. She asked me what else were they supposed to say. They didn't know him and they barely know her. And she brings up a really good point. What's the right thing to say to someone you've recently met or when you didn't know the deceased? I will say in the past seven months when people who are new in my life find out and tell me they're sorry, I say thank you. Me too. Depending on how the conversation is going, I'll say, thank you, it's the worst. I think we, as the bereaved, have an initial reaction to say, it's okay because we don't want the person who's giving us condolences to feel sad for us, and we don't want them to be uncomfortable with our sadness. Death makes people really uncomfortable, and it's going to continue to do that until we're honest with ourselves about how earth-shattering grief can be. I think something that happens, and I don't fault anyone for this, it's just a reality, is about one to three months after your person dies, people check in all the time. They send you things, and you feel like your grief is being acknowledged and respected, and that starts to taper off after about three months. People think condolences, flowers, funeral, and then they feel like they did what they were supposed to do. And I don't want to discount that. It's all so nice and so thoughtful. But because we as a society don't talk about grief, we don't acknowledge that as time goes on, it gets harder in a different way. Anyone who's experienced grief knows that your life never goes back to normal and you instead have a new normal where the grief is always present and it's just whether or not you let yourself go there. So I'm 30 years old, which is generally considered young to lose a parent. And I want to take a few minutes to talk about the platitude that time heals. Because, well, yes it does, the grief never goes away. It changes, but as I said, it's always there. I think back to someone who I spoke with after the funeral, and he asked me how I was doing, and I said, well, I really don't know what to do with myself now because all of the funeral planning is done and all the stuff is done. And he's this, like, really no-nonsense kind of guy And he said, well, Brooke, you're going to be okay. Life goes on. You'll find a new job. You'll get married. You'll have kids. And you'll be fine. And I felt like someone sucker punched me. And I excused myself to go sob. Yes, all of those things would happen. But my dad wouldn't be there to see any of these big life moments. The man who said this to me had recently lost his father, but the man who said this to me was in his 60s. So his dad got to see him get married, see him have kids, and see him excel in his career. And for the man who said this to me, I'm sure that life will go on brings him comfort in the loss of his father. But for me, it was devastating. And so I tell this story as an exaggerated cautionary tale against using the term time heals. Because in talking to people who are at various stages in the grieving process and at different stages in their lives, time makes some things better and some things worse. The first few months after the loss were debilitating. I could barely have a conversation with more than one person at a time. This was not helped by the fact that people would ask what I was up to and it was like, well, my family and I are planning a funeral. Uh, I'm cleaning my dead dad's house out. So, like, generally not great. Since it's been a bit of time, people do check in less. Condolence cards don't come in the mail anymore. 
and ultimately I'm significantly more functional than I was right after he died. I think part of that is because I have been doing a lot of writing about grief and death and part of it is just time, though it still doesn't feel real. It feels like he's on a really long business trip and he's going to come back and I'm going to be able to see him again. I was at dinner with some girlfriends the other night and they asked me how I was doing with everything and I burst into tears at the table. The holidays are coming up and it's the middle of November and for Christmas we always went out to my dad's and it was this like very big production, like 20 some people, huge meal, lots of merriment, enormous tree and this year we're not doing that. We're making new traditions, and we'll have a big family dinner with everyone in New York. But my brother and I agreed that he would sleep over in my studio on Christmas Eve, so neither of us would wake up alone on Christmas Day. Holidays, especially the first year, are really hard. And I tell this story to encourage you to check in on those who have experienced a recent loss, especially with the holidays coming up. Because especially when you have to change the location you celebrate and just someone's not going to be there who's been there your whole life. It's really hard. Another thing that I find really comforting is to talk about him. And I'm in a situation where a lot of my friends met my dad and had friendships with him. Being able to talk about him is really nice, whether it's, oh, my dad always loved this, or he would have loved this bar. He would have loved this exhibit. Or cheersing him when we're drinking martinis, because we all drink a lot of martinis when we were with my dad. Or whether it's a more in-depth discussion about the loss. I do think that people are scared to talk about him or the loss because they don't know what to say. I think just acknowledging that this person existed and you haven't forgotten about them is really meaningful to the bereaved. Most people who have experienced a monumental loss think about the person they lost all the time. And they want to talk about them. And most of us, we can do it without being overcome by emotion. I've gotten to the point generally where I can make it through a conversation about my dad and the tears like come to my eyes, but they don't actually run down my face, which I consider to be progress. I want to transition a little and talk about some things to send besides flowers. While flowers are beautiful, if you have 10 vases of flowers arriving at the same time and then dying at the same time, how far does that go? Though I will say, some girls I used to work with sent me the most beautiful flower arrangement I had ever seen, and I loved them. I'm so thankful for everyone who sent me flowers, and this is just to provide um, alternatives. Uh, I had a group of friends send me flowers right when we finished cleaning my dad's house out this summer, and I thought that that was really thoughtful, and I was really touched by them doing this, and it was such a nice thing to come back to New York, to my apartment, and see. Personally, I really lean into the cliche with my condolence gifts. I like to send people candles with a note that says, I'm sending you light. Or if a friend is far away, I like to send a blanket with a note that says, I hope this wraps you with love until I can give you a hug in person. I know these are very cheesy, but I think that it's meaningful. I will say that my friends were truly amazing and I felt so, so, so loved through this whole process. It got to the point where my family was commenting on how many things my friends were sending. When we were taking care of my dad, people sent groceries so I could cook vegetables, and people sent meals, which was great. If you're sending a meal to someone who is grieving or a caregiver, may I recommend a protein, vegetables, and a little something sweet? 
for me, I feel really awful if I eat a lot of really heavy food or sweets or dairy. So having something healthy was a way for me to strengthen and nourish my body when I needed it the most. I had a friend who drove out from New York with her in-laws to bring me cookies and get me out of the house and take me on a walk. And while we were doing that, her in-laws went and picked up healthy groceries for us. And then they left. And it was such a simple act, and it was a surprise, but it was perfect because it got me out of the house. Um, I had a few friends send hand lotion and face masks, and I want to encourage this because a nice beauty product is a really good gift. I had a few friends going on a gift card to where I get my facials, which was wonderful. Because your skin does all sorts of crazy shit when you're emotional, and you're probably not drinking enough water, you're not sleeping enough, and you're probably drinking a lot of wine. So any hydrating skin products are a great idea. Several of my friends went in on a gift card to SoulCycle, which was really amazing because while he was in hospice, my uncle and I planned who got the early gym shift and who got the late gym shift. And it was really important for both of us to get out of the house and let all of that grieving, caretaking energy out for an hour a day. I also think a massage gift card is a great idea. We hold grief in our bodies and I remember the first few massages I got after he died, I would just cry on the table while they were working out my back. This may have been because generally I cried all the time, but I think anything you can do to help the bereaved take care of themselves will be wildly appreciated. Like Even if you Venmo someone $5 to get a latte, it's ultimately about the thought and about having the bereaved do something to take care of themselves and bringing a bit of comfort to someone who's probably super disoriented. That's it for today. In summary, as an alternative to how are you, try want to check in and see what's going on with you today. Been thinking about you. Instead of I'm sorry for your loss, try I know nothing I can say will make this better, but I'm here for you. Check in with people who have lost someone around the holidays and don't tiptoe about their memory. The grieving person probably wants to talk about the person who passed away. And I will plug as my last um, summary item, a candle is a wonderful gift if you're looking for something to send instead of flowers. Thank you for tuning in to the first episode of The Grief Coach. I hope you found it helpful, and I hope you tell a friend about it if you liked it. I hope you rate it and review it wherever you listen to your podcast. Next week, we're going to talk about dealing with grief on social media, and I hope you subscribe if that's something you're interested in. We would love to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram at the underscore grief coach and email us at hello at thegriefcoach.co, not .com, .co. Talk to you soon. Thanks.